This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by the Spectator's political editor, Katie Pauls, and the former High Commissioner from Australia to the UK, Alexander Downer. And the big story today, of course, is that Britain is joining the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, better known as CPTPP for obvious reasons. Katie, tell us briefly, why is this significant? So it's been many years in the work. I think it was Liz Truss as International Trade Secretary who, you know, pushed us very hard. You had Liam Fox as her predecessor. And uh, what it does after two years of intense negotiations is gives the UK um, access, well, gives British exporters access to 500 million people. The countries that this crosses over with are Canada, Mexico, Japan, Australia, Vietnam and Malaysia. And uh, Japan, I think, has been particularly instrumental in terms of pushing the UK's membership in it. As, I think as soon as the UK government, as uh, along with others, but particularly their key ally in, in getting this across the line. Um, what does it do in terms of the economy? Well, ministers expect the membership to generate 1.8 billion of extra income once it has been up and running for 10 years. So this isn't an overnight transformation to the UK economy, but I think it's significant for a few reasons. One, I think it's, it means there is something the government can talk about when it talks about you know a Brexit dividend, Brexit achievements, which I think in recent months you've seen you know, lots of people saying, what have you got to point to? Uh, public opinion, going warm on these things. And this is seen as, I think, something which across the Tory party is is pretty positive. It's also for Rishi Sunak. I mean, he is inheriting something which is in the works long before he was prime minister. Mm-hmm. And you can see from Liz Truss putting out a statement earlier, keen to say, well, I put lots of work in on this too. But I think the upside for Rishi Sunak means it is a popular achievement on the right of the Tory party. Um, you know, you are seeing Trussites coming forward, you know, Boris Johnson supporters coming forward and, you know, heralding this is a good thing. You know, Lord Frost, others. Um, and I think it's also an interesting one on the question of America because obviously one of the big things in the EU referendum, we had lots of people talking about this US-UK trade deal. Donald Trump, at the t- well, obviously as president, uh, talked a lot about it and it never came to pass. I think it was also viewed in number 10 actually, particularly by loads around Boris Johnson as potentially something that's politically divisive. You'll get into a situation where having talked about chlorinated chicken and when we popular with the public. But there are some in government who think that uh, America could eventually join CPTPP and then you'd have a situation whereby that would actually is probably perhaps a more realistic way to getting a trade arrangement with America as well as these countries. Alexander, what are your thoughts on all of this news today? Uh, I think it's huge news. Of course, it's not um, short term for the public terribly exciting, but it constitutes a major change over time in the structure of the British economy for the benefit of uh, of the British people. I mean, here is a part of the world, if you take these 11 economies, which are part of this comprehensive and progressive trans-Pacific partnership, which represent quite a sizable proportion of global GDP. But more than that, there are 500 million people who live in these countries. More than that, As time goes on, this is where the growth of the middle class, of middle class consumers is going to be. So by 2030, something like 65% of all 
middle class consumers worldwide will be in those 11 economies. So it, it offers huge opportunities for British exporters. And obviously, importantly, it's a source of uh, cheaper Im- imports to keep uh, pressure off prices as well and to improve people's living standards at home. So I think it's a very important development and it also is part of the broader uh, post-Brexit strategy of the tilt to the Indo-Pacific. And just on trade, I mean, to Alexander's point there, I mean, I think if you're looking at, you know, where should the UK be tacking itself or moving towards? I mean, you, you have the point about the middle class, the fact that, you know, this is where you're expecting, you know, I think by 2050, over half of global growth. Uh, whereas if you look at uh, the EU share of global GDP, that is set to decline. So I think, again, it's another thing, yes, for the economy, but also I think uh, probably more in an immediate political thing, because that will take time, is the sense that, uh, you know, there is a strategy behind the UK realigning, leaving the EU, and it, it does feed into that, you know, that there are, you know, fortunes elsewhere. Yeah, um, one question I want to ask, Alexander, is uh, obviously Australia is already a member of CPTPP. Britain's now joining. What impact do you think that's going to have on China's application? They filed it a few months after uh, the UK's in 2021. What does this mean now from a sort of China-specific angle? I want to talk about two things, China and also the US. So in terms of China, China isn't going to get into the CPTPP until it meets the conditions of being a partner in, this, in the uh, trade arrangement. And China at the moment has a series of economic sanctions on Australian exports to China. So every country within the CPTPP has a veto of application to join it. And Australia will not allow China to join or even to begin negotiations with China until China lifts its sanctions on Australian exports. So that's not going to happen anytime soon, in my view. But what is interesting is the role of the United States in all of this. When President Trump became the president, he withdrew altogether from the US participation in this trade arrangement. And uh, that hasn't been reversed by President Biden. But I think in time, the Americans will see the virtue of joining the CPTPP, and I would very much encourage them to do that because it is a way of counterbalancing China's influence in the Indo-Pacific region. So it has real geopolitical meaning, not just commercial meaning, as much more to it than just trade. Um, And if the United States rejoins this trade arrangement, then that will open up free trade between the UK and the United States as well. So that is a task worth taking up now that the UK is going to join the CPTPP. Uh, Katie, Alexander mentions um, in his answers about the importance of a sort of, you know, this is a long term thing. It's looking forward to the 2040s. We know that UK foreign policy has been you know, very all over the place in recent decades. What are the chances of actually now securing a kind of permanent Indo-Pacific tilt? We've obviously had the AUKUS deal and those great images of Rishi Sunak out in, in DC a few weeks ago. And now we've obviously got this announcement today. Is that, Can this be made a permanent agreement? I've seen Labour come out and, and, and welcome it with some reservations. Uh, to what extent is this about sort of baking in a kind of permanent post-Brexit settlement? So I think, as you point to, there's cross-party support when it comes to this tilt generally. AUKUS, something Labour backs, clearly, and you know, fairly positive words to, about today's announcement too. 
what it also does do, I think, those locks in Brexit in a way that makes it harder for a future government to not even perhaps undo but soften the relationship between the UK and the EU ultimately you cannot be in ultimately you cannot be in CPTPP but also being in the customs union with the EU and uh, there's also you know alignment having full alignment in the EU I don't would be compatible with um, many of the elements of this and therefore I think were a Labour government to take over and win the next election now Kistama has obviously not said that he would, you know, make the UK re-enter the customs union. But I think if you look at the language of some of the direction from Labour, it's often about, you know, making Brexit work, which is also a way of saying at the moment it doesn't work and closer ties. And I think some of the things Labour government could do, which would slowly lead to a closer relationship um, without drawing much attention to it, are probably harder to do as a result of today's announcement. And Alexander, I mean, you know, the recent example of the election in Australia where a Labour Prime Minister uh, replaced Scott Morrison perhaps gives some sign that this is now a kind of you know, bipartisan effort, really, where people are sort of realising the importance of these kind of blocks in a world where there is the element of sort of strategic threats from China and other nations. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly true. Um, Australia was found a member of what's called the CPTPP, if this trade arrangement and the change of government in Australia hasn't made any difference. I would have thought um, a way of looking at this is that the UK already has a free trade agreement with the European Union. Let's not forget that. Um, It may not be as good as being in the single market, but uh, there are no tariffs, so there are no quotas on British trade with the EU. And then add to that, these 11 economies with the same population as or slightly larger population than the EU, a slightly smaller GDP, but over the next 10 or 15 years, the GDP of these countries will overhaul the GDP of the EU. And it is an extraordinary case of win-win by the UK. It must be, it, 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 it is for sure, the only country in the whole world that has a free trade agreement with um, all of the members of the EU, plus the 11 key countries in the Asia-Pacific region. It's an incredible achievement. I mean, it's easy to overlook it or just think of it in the short term in terms of how the, the public may react and what the politics of it may be. But I wouldn't have thought any government coming to power in the UK would want to walk away from a situation so beneficial as that. Um, And I personally believe that free trade is going to be hugely important to to post-Brexit UK, not narrowing trade and not narrowing investment to one particular region, but to open it up to the whole world, including, and as perhaps one should say, especially the fastest growing economies in the world. And I, I had just one final thought, uh, given we have Alexander on, on the podcast, which is, um, I think there's, stepping outside also just, you know, the general tilt. Uh, you have a situation where I think, I wrote about it recently, Australia is a country I think both Labour and the Tories see as quite significant these days. Um, you know, not just things like AUKUS, which does have cross-party support and 
is going to last and you see that with Albanese um, you know after Scott Morrison and I think it'd be the same in the UK but also I think uh, it's quite funny these days when you talk to Labour and Tory figures they often both bring up Australia uh, as almost um, the example of how they're, how they're going to conquer the next election um, so so I think the fact that Albanese won even though technically speaking Labour's Labour's primary vote share went down. Um, it's been cited as Keir Starmer's tired right-wing government, and we're going to use that playbook. You've had Bridget Phillipson, I spoke about it to the spectator, flying to Australia, trying to learn the lessons on the childcare policy, which now the Tories, I think, have pretty much lifted. And Australian you know, figures from the Labour Party giving all these briefings to the shadow cabinet and Labour about the lessons they can learn. And on the flip side, you have, of course, uh, previously Lyndon Crosby, now Isaac Levido, uh, you know, two Australian figures running elections for the Tories. And Isaac Levido worked on the Liberal Party uh, campaign, which was not successful, but therefore has an idea of what went wrong. And at the recent Tory away day, was ultimately saying, this is why it failed in Australia. You had a very unpopular leader. You had a divided party. This is what you learn from it. So I feel that as we approach the election next year, um, you're just going to see, I think, more and more kind of UK-Australia parallels. So I don't know which lesson Alexander would take on, on which party has more reason for hope over here. Well, I, I read what Katie wrote about this last week and I, I completely agree with it. It was an excellent analysis, which she's now repeated orally. Um, but, but the Conservatives uh, here are on to it. They know exactly what uh, the Australian Labour strategy was and uh, they know exactly what the British Labour strategy is. The British Labour Party strategy is just to photocopy what the Australian Labour Party did and do the same thing. So it's uh, not have too many policies, um, but just have some sort of general senses of direction. Make sure you appear to be moderate and middle of the road um, and concentrate on how ghastly the incumbent government is. Now, what happened in Australia was that Scott Morrison, for all sorts of reasons which don't bear any relationship to the UK's political scene, became deeply unpopular as an individual. And it was really on the back of that that Labour um, was able to win the election. In the UK, the big the, the similarity and the difference is this. The big difference in the UK is that Rishi Sunak is not deeply unpopular. People do not hate or even dislike Rishi Sunak. So the problem for the Labour Party is going to be how to undermine the Prime Minister, and they obviously try to do that. Um, but so the, in that sense, they're not as well-placed as the Australian Labour Party uh, were. Um, and uh, But they, they do have a leader in Keir Starmer who is rather similar to Anthony Albanese, a sort of bland, unexciting, uncharismatic, but perhaps not too scary leader uh, that worked for the Labour Party in Australia and obviously Labour will be trying that here. But I, I think the big difference politically is Rishi Sunak. One similarity, by the way, is that the Liberal Party in Australia, the equivalent of the Conservative Party, was deeply divided. There was endless infighting and you've had that in the Conservative Party here. I know that Isaac Levito told the Conservatives you better unite and unite behind your prime minister, otherwise you won't hold your seats. And so I think the fact that there was such a small revolt over Northern Ireland 
uh, recently, last week, just reflects that message that the Conservative Party better start uniting and uniting fast if they want to uh, win the next election. But they could. They don't necessarily have to give up at this stage. Well, sounds like both parties will be playing by Aussie rules. Uh, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Alexander. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.